I'm Chuck Bentley, CEO of Crown Financial Ministries. We've launched this podcast at an unprecedented time in history as the world adapts to the massive economic challenges brought about by the COVID-19 virus. We have an opportunity to bring solutions, insights, and wisdom to the chaos of this global disaster. Today, I have the privilege of talking to Craig Deal by WhatsApp, and we're praying the connection is strong. Craig is the CEO of Foundation for Farming, which was founded in Zimbabwe in the 80s by Brian Oldreeve. Foundations for Farming uses principles taught by Christ himself to bring transformation to individuals, communities, and nations using a simple technology and management system that breaks the yoke of poverty. Craig was born in Zimbabwe, and together with his wife, Bridgie, farmed commercially for 30 years. They primarily exported citrus, mangoes, and passion fruit around the world. The farm grew in success and profitability until Craig and his family were forcibly removed from the farm without compensation as part of the Zimbabwe government's land redistribution. Craig, good to talk to you. Thank you for having me, Chuck. It's an absolute pleasure to chat to you today. I think we've got a good connection. How are you and Bridgie doing? How's your family? We are fine. Um, we It's a bit uh, bit of a challenge having our children in uh different parts of the world are spread apart. So um, we, we find that a bit hard, but we thank goodness for Skype and, and WhatsApp and that we can keep in touch with our, with our children, which is great. So you're in uh, shelter in, I think that's the term we're using all over the world or lockdown. What, what are the circumstances that you're in right now, Craig? Yeah, we've been in lockdown since Monday, Chuck. Uh, so it's our fourth day today. Um, we are we are seriously blessed. We we are locked down, but uh, we we are obeying the directive from the authorities. So um, we we we're hunkering down and we're doing well. Our heart actually really just bleeds for the poor people in our country because um, it's a very hard to affect a lockdown on a person who's unemployed, who has to go and find food. For that day for his family. Um, the guys living in the uh, high density suburbs, they don't have access to refrigerators or pantries and and we, we're we in a sort of 80% unemployment in this country so there's a lot of informal work and to try and uh, force these people, these guys to stay in their homes and they're very overcrowded anyway is is a real challenge so my heart is is really bleeding for them um and then you add to that chuck we've got a totally broken healthcare system so if a pandemic hits our country of of massive proportions uh, i shudder to think how the health system is going to be able to um manage this well we need to be especially praying for you and all the people of africa and the, the challenges that they face that are highly uh, more complex in many ways than ours, even their public transportation is, uh, is a challenge because you can't social distance on most of their, most of their buses. You know, they're, they're going to be crammed in if they have to go anywhere. Are, are, they, are they not allowed on the buses right now? Yes, the buses have been stopped. But uh, certain certain buses are allowed to operate. But still, as you say, um, when you're cramming people into these buses, it's, it's impossible to social distance, and people have to use them. That is the only form of transport they have. So they are they're between a rock and a hard place. It's very difficult to social distance, especially when you need to find food every day on a daily basis. Well, we're, we appreciate you informing us of that, Craig, and we'll keep a close eye on what's happening there and pray for God's protective hand over your country, uh, over your family that you're so spread out from right now. Uh, but the focus of my time with you today is to help people to understand how to uh, adapt to the worst-case scenario. And the reason I want to talk to you about that is because you've on many levels, live through what most people in the developed world are fearing right now. And you've not only lived through it, you've risen above it, you've adapted, your family has adapted, you've learned to thrive 
in very challenging, difficult circumstances. So I've got a lot of questions I want to ask you about that, Craig. But first, maybe it'd be helpful for people who don't know you or don't understand your story. If you could just encapsulate it real briefly of of what life was like uh, before all these things happened to you. Uh, and if you don't mind being transparent about some of the context of your of your uh, success, your maybe your your wealth at the time, so people really can uh, get a feel for just how dramatic the changes in your life have been. So I want to turn it over to you, Craig. Tell tell us your story. Yeah, sure, Chuck. Um, well, I was I had an idyllic upbringing. I was brought brought up as a farm kid in Zimbabwe. I'm a third generation Zimbabwean, um, and I was a reasonably successful uh, commercial farmer in my own right, with my own business for for more than 25 years. I repurchased a farm that my father had carved out of virgin bush immediately after World War II. And uh, he died when I was young, unfortunately, and so my mother had to sell the farm. And then I when I was old enough, I went back and worked for the new owner and then ultimately bought the farm back from him. So I'd only known one house in my whole life. I, that's all I'd ever known. And I, started to re, I started to rebuild this farm. And when I look back, I think I was rather like the fool of farmer that we read about in Luke 12. I built more and more barns. And my farming empire expanded hugely. And I ended up exporting fruit uh, and horticulture all over the world. And we, we had a pretty big farm and we grew lots of citrus and mangoes and passion fruit. And also we did our row crops and ran a lot of cattle. So it was a pretty big spread. I employed, um, we had over a, a thousand uh, people on the farm who, who their families, with their families were employed by us. So, um, yeah, so we, we're pretty much uh, the average uh, Zimbabwe farm at that time when you realize Zimbabwe was considered the breadbasket of Africa and, and commercial farming was the envy of, of, of Africa in, in, in the, um, from the 60s right through to the end of the uh, 2000, 2000s. So, um, so, so we, had a, we were doing really well and um, things were good, but that really, that I find when I'm, I'm only discovering all these things afterwards, where I found that, that that wealth and that success bred, bred an arrogance, it bred a, a self-sufficiency, which uh, when you look back, realize that was hindering my, my walk with the Lord. So that all came to an abrupt end in the year 2000 a political imperative from our government in 2000 uh, resulted in 4,000 of us white commercial farmers being faced with violent eviction from our farms without any form of compensation. Uh, remember that uh, this meant it was my, not just a farm, it was my lifetime home, it was my business, it was my future, it was my children's inheritance and trappings that go with that. During this time, the rule of law was abandoned in our country. Further exercise of judiciary was compromised, and we had absolutely no recourse. And despite the fact that uh, Zimbabwe was an agriculturally based economy, which desperately relied on commercial farming, um, the government went ahead with this program. So. We as a family, we, we knew we were going to um, lose the farm and we chose, we were faced with three possible scenarios. The first was to fight, the second was to flee, and the third was to forgive. Now, none of those options are wrong. Uh, some of my friends tried to fight for their land, but, and they were unfortunately killed. Um, the vast majority of my friends and farmers, uh, colleagues, left the country. Um, but we, 
decided we chose the hardest option. And that was to consciously forgive the government and forgive those that actually stole our farm. So, Craig, you, you're looking back on it now 20 years ago. But at the moment, it had to be enormous stress and anxiety and fear and uncertainty. And you're talking about forgiving. Um, but at the moment that it happened, when you actually got evicted, tell us what was going on in your own heart right at that moment. Because there's a lot of people under intense stress and pressure right now, but they're not facing what you were facing. You've had to face this head on as people entered your farm and told you to get off. Tell us about that moment. Yes, Jack, it's, it's rather like um, what we're facing now. Um, that's all we seem to be eat, eating, breathing, sleeping is just uh, the virus. Uh, we were going through that time at the moment. We spoke about nothing other than land invasions and how we were going to try and make a plan, how some of us were going to try and survive, and how um, every person that we spoke to was trying to work out a different strategy of what was best for him and his family. For us, it was a, a case of just going in the, the opposite spirit. When this, um, when a very unruly and violent mob pitched up at our house, ready to, to throw us out, um, we had predetermined that, from the comfort of an armchair, mind you, uh, we had predetermined that we would not argue, get aggressive, and get defensive, but we would just go up and um, ask if we could pray with the ringleaders. And when that moment came, I found myself at a crossroad moment, because I'd promised God to do that, but I had plenty of other options, and I could have easily uh, chosen another path. But the Holy Spirit in me, I went up to them and I put my hands on the two ringleaders and I just said to them, please, can I pray with you? Now, because it was a, the opposite of what they were expecting, they were pretty taken aback and they actually agreed in there. Remember, they were high on drugs, they were very aggressive and um, uh, hard to deal with. Do they have weapons, Craig? Are they threatening you? Are they, uh, are they coming towards you? You're not negotiating with them, right? They're, they're standing in your house at this moment. Yes, they're standing in our, in our yard and being prepared to tell us to, um, to leave, to get out, or they would, or they would throw us out and, and, and probably take our, our possessions with them in the home. So it was a tense moment. Um, my wife Bridget was confronted uh, once by by a group with with machetes, and she had, on one occasion, a couple of men come into the kitchen and and try to uh, attack her there. So we were we were fighting for our lives, but this this uh, when this when they were coming to actually take the farm for for real this time, that was when I prayed with them. And God did an incredible thing and was probably more in my heart than theirs because the minute we unlocked our hands and finished praying, it was only about a 45-second, probably very unspiritual prayer. But I, we prayed for them and their families. And as I opened my eyes, I saw their countenance had changed totally. They were just different people. And they, they said to me, um, we are leaving now. And they they turned on their tail and they took their the mob away with them. But for me, that was the trigger for a, an incredible uh, start of a journey of, of forgiveness. Now, we had, um, without wanting to exaggerate, we must have had between 10 and, 10 and 20 events like that, where, where a group would come, uh, a mob would come, want to take, take the farm and we would pray and they would go. Uh, eventually, at the end of the day, we, we did end up having to go. But what I'd seen, the power of God there, um, and it, it, it really dramatically changed my life because uh, it, it took my focus off my wealth and myself 
and was able to then just regroup and you know it's not Chuck it's not easy forgiveness um, it is a, it was a trigger for me you know you don't wake up one day and, and just feel forgiving but we were just found in obedience to do what the Bible says and unfortunately not not unfortunately but for a reason uh, all the bits about forgiveness are written in my Bible they're in red so they're from the mouth of Jesus and we cannot there's no room for speculation and we are told in no uncertain terms to replace a curse with a blessing turn the other cheek in Matthew 5 we read that do not resist the one who is evil now these things just in the flesh don't make sense because it's like Jesus is saying well you know forgive him turn the other cheek and we would in our flesh will say well why would we do that it's just going to make him stronger to hurt me even more it's going to make my enemy stronger um, but Jesus has a different way Jesus says I do what I say and watch what I'll do and that's that's what we did and I, I didn't consciously do this at the time this is what I'm seeing when I look back over 20 years we also read in uh, that if a man steals your coat give him your tunic as well and for us that meant if a man steals your farm teach him how to farm and so this remarkable road of unconditional forgiveness triggered in me a whole new picture of Jesus the reality of Jesus and his different way not not leaning on our own understanding not conforming to the standards of this world not conforming to what the flesh wants you to do the flesh when this happens to you the flesh wants you to hunker down and just look after yourself and just make sure that you're okay but Jesus has a different way and and Chuck for us the outworking of that forgiveness as I say it was the trigger for us the unconditional forgiveness to forgive those who don't deserve forgiveness um, and that was that that outworking of that was to as in Psalm 126 says to sow in our tears because we had tears we were suddenly homeless without work and without a future hope and a future so we 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 were in tears but instead of uh, just hunkering down in in self-pity and bitterness and unforgiveness we decided to sow in our tears and that meant for me using my farming skill not to enrich myself but rather to serve the least the last and the last by introducing them to Jesus using agriculture as a tool so now 20 years on I'm now reaping the promised songs of joy if you sow in your tears Craig I want to drill down on some of that uh, much deeper because there's a, a process here that I want people to understand about that's similar to what we're going through now as you said we're we're fearful and we're anxious because there's so much unknown you were in that circumstance where it really dominated all of your conversation, all of your thoughts, all of your energy. Everything was revolving around how are we going to survive this? How are we going to adapt to this? And so in your mind, probably the worst case scenario would be that you lost your farm, you received no compensation, and in a just a, a single swoop, of your life completely changes. changes. There's no... There's no home, there's no job and current income from the farm, there's no ability to resurrect your career as a professional farmer, and you're now displaced overnight from, your, from all of that. It's gone. It had to be shocking, and, and it, there had to be a process to accept reality and to, to deal with it, because what you feared actually happened. And at what moment did you begin to think, okay, Lord, I'm going to get through this. It, it has happened. It's gone. It's over. There, you know, you, you, but I've got to pick myself up and move on. Was that uh, quick? Did that happen quickly? Or was there a time of grief? Tell us a little bit about that transition from 
where you were in in your darkest hour to where you are today. Yes, Chuck, it, it, it wasn't an overnight thing. Like I said, you don't wake up one day and feel forgiven. You have to do certain actions. And for us, it was sowing in our tears, was doing stuff, was helping others, was taking the focus off myself and my woes and rather thinking of others and thinking of how I could help others. And I knew that God had gift me, gifted me with an incredible skill to be able to uh, impart God's way of farming. and But I, I was introduced to Farming God's Way, or Foundations for Farming, as it's called now. And I knew that was an, a pivotal moment for me when I, when I met the founder. I reconnected with the founder of Foundations for Farming, Brian Aldrieb. And he shared with me the vision of making a plan for the poor through agriculture. And that became a light bulb moment for me because I suddenly realized God had opened up another avenue. And I had another crossroad moment. Was I going to pursue this and be obedient to God's call on my life, or was I going to hunker down in bitterness and unforgiveness and, and sorrow? And so that became a, a, a critical moment. That was about, um, that must have been, it was 2006, uh, so it was some years after we were off the farm. And I was in the wilderness for, for three or four years trying to survive. Um, and, of course, during that time, uh, our, our nation's economy tanked because agriculture, we're an agriculturally based economy, and the whole economy tanked and um, our country spun into hyperinflation. Um, in fact, the worst hyperinflation the world has ever seen in peacetime. So as a result, come 2008, when we were spiraling and out of control in, in hyperinflation as a nation, um, any reserves that we had had, um, we, Bridgie and I, had been faithfully paying into retirement annuities and pension policies and insurances that were designed to ensure we would, could retire one day. Um, those suddenly came to nothing. We, we had to cash them in and they, they took us out to dinner. 25 years of, of savings and retiring. So we started to, we had to rebuild our reserves and actually in 2019 it's happened again. Our economies crashed and our bank accounts are again the casualty. So Craig, before you, before you explain more of that, I, I want to just stop right there because uh, this sounds eerily similar to the risks that we're all facing around the world right now. Let's compare the farm invasion to the deadly virus. You feared the virus, but the virus came. It killed, it destroyed, it, it took away, it robbed you of your home, your job, your career, your children's legacy, in a sense, your hope in a future. That's part of the worst case nightmare. But then following that, the economy tanked and all of your savings, all of your sense of security and, and the ability to retire is taken up in hyperinflation. Your country was printing uh, a trillion dollar bills. And it's interesting. I think it's true. You couldn't buy toilet paper with a trillion dollar bill. Is that correct, Craig? Our biggest note, actually, Chuck, was a hundred trillion dollar note. And it would uh, five billion would probably buy you a loaf of bread, um, but yeah, there was a, at the time you could it would be, it's much cheaper to use the local currency than toilet paper. Yeah, so maybe there is some reason that people are hoarding toilet paper during the coronavirus <laughs> uh, pandemic, you know, Craig, and and then everything disappeared from the shelves and. And there became long lines to get gasoline and to buy a loaf of bread. Uh, and you had to adapt to all that. But this is, this, is the, this is what so many people, especially in the developed world, fear might happen to them. And yet here you are. It's happened over and over. You've not been able to rebuild your riches. You've not been able to recapture your career. You've not been able to live back on the farm. You're 20 years removed from all of this loss and yet you're joyful and you're giving testimony that God has redeemed it for good in your life. 
Explain how he's done that for you and Bridgie. How you, you sowed in your tears and now you're reaping this joy and you're reaping these true riches from these terrible experiences. Help us understand that. Yeah, the, the, the first thing to understand, Chuck, is that uh, for us, after losing everything basically three times um, through no fault of our own, um, for us, storing our treasures in heaven is, is no longer just a sermon point. And we can uh, look back on it and we can come out the other side with the incredible joy that, that, that is promised in Psalm 126. If you sow in your tears, you'll reap songs of joy. And we're, we are doing that now. Um, but God had to break me just to give me that effectiveness in his kingdom. When I was uh, wealthy and um, uh, ambitious and fearfully self-sufficient, um, it was very difficult to lean on God for anything because I could do it all myself. I could always make my own plan. I was um, master of my own destiny, even though I, would, I, would, I was calling myself a Christian. But this turned me into a radical, hectic Christian. And although it doesn't always feel like it, for what God did in my heart over that process, I know has been worth losing the farm. Craig, it, you, you, you and Bridgie agree now that what you have gained from all this loss has been worth it. Yes, it's, it's, do I want to go through it again? Obviously not. Um, do I miss the farm? Of course I do. It was my childhood, it's, and I loved, the, I loved farming, and I loved being a landowner, and I loved all the aspects of farming. But when we unwrap it all at the end of the day, for what God has done in my heart, he's made me so much closer to him, able to walk with him, and, and able to be used by him for his purposes, for his glory, not for my empire, not for my personal ambitions, for God, what God has been able to do that. That is what gives me the joy that we're able to walk in today. And Craig, you talk about being a farmer, and the first thing that God gives a nation is the land, that he starts, you know, he's put us in a garden, and, and we're to be faithful using the land, using the simple resources around us. But you had something about the land and the people backward, and God reversed that in your life. Would you explain that? Yes, he did. He had to reverse that in me. He had to open my eyes to uh, the value of people over the value of crops and money, because I was in the business of, of harvesting crops for myself, for my own personal wealth, and, and I wasn't harvesting people. I think now I'm in a foundations for farming. My, I'm now farming people, which is much closer to God's heart, especially poor people. So what, what I did was I, used, I had a large labor force. I told myself I loved them. But also looking, looking back again, all this is when you look back, I realized that I loved them as assets. I loved them for what they could do for me. I loved them for the, the, how they could generate income for me. And you know, when, uh, when Adam was given dominion over the land by God, and then later on when Jesus, the second Adam, comes, he says, love the people. Well, I certainly had it the wrong way around. I loved the land and tried to rule the people. And that also was a moment where God opened my eyes to the value of people made in his image, which are far more important than any material wealth that I could have gained. And so you, you, you loved the land and ruled over the people, but God put you in a position now to rule over the land, uh, meaning uh, teach stewardship of, of, the, of the resources that Africans have and love them for not what they can do for you, but what, uh, because they've been made in God's image and they have dignity and they have, uh, they have a heart and, and, a, and a blessing in your life. And, and you really have been able to see how rich those relationships have become to you, how much more meaningful they are to you now than when they were your employees. Give us, a, give us an example of a person that's been such a blessing in your life, Craig. 
Yeah, so I think it's of um, case of serving rather than being served, and that's a that's a Jesus principle. And uh, all through my um, through these last twenty years, I've come across so many people who I look through now with God's glasses, and I'm able to see them as God. People who I once would have um, crossed the other side of the road for. People who I thought were, I was better than them. And God's opened my eyes to that fact that I am here, God's put me on this planet to serve the least of our brothers, least of his brothers. And I have, um, and even amongst those that are, amongst those that have taken portions of my farm, I have bumped into them in recent times and been able to um, verbally tell them that I have forgiven them and then also ask them to forgive me for hating them for so long. So it's just an incredible thing. That's, this is certainly is not what, what I do. This is God. And uh, it's, these are certainly not my thoughts or actions. This is God just using a broken farmer to be able to um, just bless others and forgive others. And uh, it's the ultimate, ultimate love, I think, is to forgive those who, who don't deserve forgiveness. You know, Craig, I know uh, that you were in a, a meeting in the government offices because your, your, your training is being now embraced by the government, but you were in a meeting there, and of course... Uh, the farms, the, the premier farms, the premium properties were taken by the government under Robert Mugabe's leadership, and they were given out as political favors uh, to people in his cabinet and people in high positions, paying back uh, those who supported him to, to rule over the country with an iron fist. And so you're sitting in this meeting and you look up, you meet eyes with a government official, and you recognize him. And you have this flashback, this this uh, terrible sense of of uh, remembrance coming over you of the trauma you went through. Tell us about that moment. Um, yes, Chuck, that that happened fairly recently, actually, and um, it's after so many years. But um, I I was able to go up to this gentleman. He had the last time I'd met him, he had dragged me off to a a kangaroo court in front of uh, and grandstanded in front of a lot of people and anyway he he helped himself to a, a fairly large portion of the farm but um when I, I i asked i asked him if he remembered me and he he looked at me blankly and he said no and i think that was god reminding me that forgiveness is for you it's not for the perpetrator um because um it, this man obviously hadn't had a, a night's sleep, sleepless nights in those 20, 15 years, 15, 20 years. And so that was God just reminding me, this forgiveness road is for you. And no matter where a person doesn't deserve forgiveness, it's up to you to forgive anyway. So I, I knew that I had to make this right with him. And I knew that I was not to go there and pontificate and tell him what you know, how wrong he was, etc. And I booked an appointment to meet him at his office. And I poured my heart and just told him that I really, really forgave him. And there was, um, I had no angst in my heart. And I could genuinely say that this wasn't just a, God gave me this incredible love for this man. And I was able to go around and ask him to forgive me because for many years, I had harbored much hatred against him. And that moment, God came and he broke down the barrier. We were able to hug. I was able to just release him and set the prisoner free. And I realized I was the prisoner holding on to hatred and unforgiveness. But uh, I genuinely left his office without any, any uh, um, angst in my heart and I think he had the same, and I could. Um, I've endeavoured to keep in touch with him, and just to try and build a, a, a genuine 
friendship that the Lord would would have have me do. That hasn't happened, but but I have done my part. You know, Craig, you're among a super minority in Zimbabwe because so many of the other farmers chose option one or option two to either fight and they lost their lives or they fled and started over to rebuild their farms somewhere else. I know many are now in, dispersed around the world. Uh, some are now in Australia. I've run into some of them in my travels and, and met them who fled. Uh, but you and a few others have stayed and, and you forgave. But you've suffered through scorn and disdain and suspicion and a form of racism. Uh, people have wondered why you were staying, what you were trying to do, that maybe you were subversive or trying to topple the, the powers that be. And, and you've endured all those things. Uh, now the infrastructure is broken down. How often are you getting electricity, even now? And, uh, you know, the, the worst case scenario sort of continues, doesn't it, Craig? What, 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 what is, what's your availability of electricity, even today? Well, today, because of the shutdown, no factories are working, so we've got electricity in our homes today, so that's a blessing. Um, but generally, for the last um, um, nine or ten months, we've only been getting six or seven hours of electricity a day in, at midnight, midnight through to, to about six in the morning. Yeah, so you're living in these challenging conditions. Uh, it's a, For some, it would, they, they'd think it's a nightmare, and yet for you... You've seen redemption. Tell us what's happened uh, since, as you describe it, Pharaoh has called. After 20 years of enduring all this pain and, and, and loss, what's happening right now? Yeah, so we've, we've just persevered, Chuck. Um, we, we have, as you say, we've been uh, treated with much suspicion from, from all sides. But we've had no political um, uh, affiliations or, or agendas. Our agenda is to serve the poor for him. And our country is full of poor people, and 80% of us are tied to the land in some way or another. So we have to get the poor people of, this, of our country out of poverty. We need to use the gospel to do that. It can't be done through science and technology or, or politics. It can only be done by God. And so we use God as a channel. We use agriculture as God's channel to get into the hearts of those who need uh, to be brought out of poverty in our nation. And because we're an agricultural nation, the small-scale farmer in, in Zimbabwe can rebuild our nation and get us back to um, breadbasket status once again. So that's where our, our focus is. And um, just recently, in the last uh, few months, we've had a, a, a rather devastating drought here in, November, in December, January, which was our peak growing area. And out of that sheer desperation, um, we have seen uh, um, a change in heart from government officials, and they have now called us. Um, and have I've had some several meetings with with high-ranking government officials um, in agriculture, and they have seen through this drought, they have seen that our our farming God's way, using stewarding God, uh, stewarding the land God's way, is a solution. It is a revelation to feed a nation. And so we have been called by uh, senior members of, of the government, and they have been ask, they're asking us now to please, could we help them to implement foundations for farming throughout the nation? So for us, it's an incredible breakthrough, and it's, it's an incredible uh, response to just perseverance for 38 years this methodology and technology has been available to our government, but it's taken 38 years for them to recognize and now to ask for our assistance. So we're very excited and we're looking forward to serving as best we can to uh, just to get poverty across our land. 
Thank you, Craig. I'm going to take a few moments near the end here to ask you to explain the technology that you and Brian have advanced across the continent to help people out of poverty because it's quite different than the world's theory of how to help a small-scale farmer. Number one, you don't look at it as the as the market at the bottom of the pyramid. You are not t- teaching people to exploit them for what they can do for you. You're teaching them with open hands. You're sharing everything that you have uh, so that they can prosper, so they can benefit. And yet, uh, the technology runs contrary to just about everything most people think about farming and agriculture as far as what they need. And so I'd like you to explain that because my hope is that there are people around the world who hear you today who will get in touch with you and Foundations for Farming and learn this methodology, what we call the, the breakthrough technology, the simplicity of it. Would you just explain it for just a moment for everyone to understand? Yeah, Chuck, actually, the genius of God is his simplicity. We as farmers have tried to complicate things over the years. So what we teach is an empowering for the smallest small-scale farmer right up to the top-level corporate large-scale farmer. It works in every situation for every crop and for every region. But we concentrate on the, on the small-scale farmer at the bottom, and uh, he has the power to be empowered because at the moment we must treat every farmer, no matter how small he is, he must be a commercial farmer, he must make a profit. Profit is biblical, it's a fruit of faithfulness. And if a person is not making a profit, there are only two avenues to survival for him. He will either steal or he will beg. So we need to break that yoke of poverty over a, a continent, in fact. And we have a very simple technology based on what we see in creation. If you read Romans 1, 18 to 22, it says, if you've seen creation, you've seen God, and we are without excuse. So God's beautiful forest, his beautiful creation, they are all models that we can copy in our farming practices. So it's a very simple technology that the grandmother in the village can understand based on what we see in creation or nature, and that is Zero tillage, no, burn, no, no, no tillage, no, no turning over of the soil, and keeping God's blanket, we call it, the marsh cover, the forest floor, keeping that in situ while we grow. That's the simplicity of farming in nature, and we just need to, with a childlike faith, just copy what God does in nature. So now to get that uh, implemented, is one thing. It's one thing having the technology, but now we in, have to implement it. And I just want to re-emphasize here that this was all birthed through Brian Aldrieve in 1982, where God downloaded this to him when he went out to a patch of virgin bush in rural Zimbabwe. And he said to God with a childlike face, Father, these are your trees. These are. This is your soil. You teach me how to farm. And that's when God revealed this to him. He also then revealed to him an implementation management system based on doing things on time, doing things to a very high standard that brings glory to God, and then doing things without wastage. And if you do those three things, on time, at standard, without wastage, whether you're a farmer, a banker, a bank, a teacher, whatever, if you employ those principles in your life, God gives you a fourth one for free whether you believe in God or not, and that is he brings you joy. He brings you incredible joy. So our implementation management system is based on doing things on time to a very high standard without wastage and with joy. But that's only 20% of what we teach because you'll never get behavior change unless you've had a heart change. So the remainder, 80% of what we teach in this agricultural curriculum of ours is heart. It's all about the heart. It's all about being unselfish, being like Jesus. It's about stewardship. It's about the parable of the talents. If you're faithful with the little, with faithful with the first resource God gives any nation, he adds mining, manufacturing, industry, commerce. But if you're unfaithful, the parable of the talent says he takes it away. And so we have to recognize whether we're farmers or not, 
that land is the first resource God gives any nation, and we need to steward, steward it and be faithful with it. And then we teach the unselfishness of Christ. Every person who walks across our fields, we pray that he would leave our facility having an understanding of the character of Christ. And we've distilled that down to three incredible character traits. First, his incredible humility to come down from the splendor of heaven into the belly of a teenager. Unprecedented humility. And then his unselfishness. He walked a, uh, walked a sinless life unto death just for others. Totally unselfish. And then his third character trait is his faithfulness. He only did what his father told him to do. So if we can inculcate the character of Christ into every teaching, to every farmer, to every person that we come in contact with, we believe that that can unlock and provide the breakthrough for uh, poverty across a continent. But also, if you take these principles and you can use them to, to fight a virus, you know, if Jesus can... Uh, storm this choppy waters, he can easily close down a virus. We need to be on our knees. We need to be... My, our mantra here in our family is we, at this particular time, is to be careful, prayerful, but not fearful. Careful, prayerful, but not fearful. I love it, Craig, and I, I, I know that uh, there are going to be people who want to know more about your work and what you and Brian have have developed and spread throughout the continent. Would you give them the web address? Yes, it's www.foundationsforfarming.org. Foundationsforfarming.org. And I can testify from knowing both of you and being in a relationship and in, and in partnership as well that the results are outstanding. They're actually unbelievable for most people with no uh, no fertilizer, no herbicides, uh, no mechanization, uh, no GMO seeds, uh, no irrigation, none of those things. And yet the results are, are, are staggering, double, triple, quadruple, in some cases 10 times the national yield in improvement to the small-scale farmer's uh, crop. And uh, we've seen God just do miraculous things through the system. And I'm just so proud of you, Craig. Thank you for what you have endured, what you and Brian have done for the poor. Uh, certainly when I think of the two of you, I think of Matthew 25, that you've done unto the least of these, those who were hungry and those who were thirsty, those who were sick, those who were discouraged and hurting. Uh, you've brought them hope. And uh, I'm so, so refreshed just remembering these lessons about worst-case scenario with you today. And no matter what happens, we have uh, the promise that we'll never be separated from the love of God and that God can redeem the worst of circumstances. Craig, I'd like you to pray for the people right now who are, are, are worried. They're running uh, large enterprises. Some of them have massive stewardship responsibilities on their shoulders. They're fearful, they're, they're anxious, they're, <clears throat> they're dominated by these thoughts, uh, by the uh, consideration of worst-case scenarios. And then there are others who are just trying to deal with the budget, trying to figure out how they're going to navigate uh, the, the uncertainty of the virus and the economy. We're in unprecedented times, and uh, we need the Lord, and we need people like you who can understand these times and know what to do. So would you lead us in prayer, brother? It would be my privilege, Chuck. And before I start, I'd just like to thank you personally and CEF and Crown for the incredible way you've you've held up our hands during the last decade or so. We, we so appreciate and love you. So Father God, Father, thank you for the amazingness of technology where we can do things like this. I just pray that my words today came from the throne room of heaven and they were not from self. I pray that uh, hearts are softened, fearful hearts, Lord, the real fears there, 
and you've told us it's it's okay not to be okay when we we're human and father whilst we are many of us are fearful and know the future you do lord you're not in a crisis meeting now and you have a hope and a future for every single one of us as long as we trust in you believe in you and allow you to bring out your pruning shears now and again your word says father that you rebuke those you love you chasten those you love so if this is a chastening time father we receive it because you're doing it for our good everything you do is for our good so father i just pray against the spirit of fear which you have not given us you've given us a spirit of sound mind and may we do the careful things may we just be careful may we be do the social distancing but father i pray we would do fear distancing distance ourselves from fear help us to do that help us not to hang on to every whatsapp or video that comes our way with a worst case scenario father we need to distance ourselves from that we need to seek your face and not facebook we need lord to be able to put you first to put you first and this is a dark hour but lord at this time you are a shelter in the storm you're an anchor in the storm and we praise you in the storm and so lord we we just put ourselves our planet our families into your hands we want to submit father we want to submit father god to your greatness because you know the outcome of this and you've promised never to leave us or forsake us even in our very darkest hour so i pray the spirit of joy into every person who is listening today may we all go out and sow in our tears may we yes wash our hands but may we wash feet as well may we be the hands and feet of jesus in a dark and hurting planet we give ourselves over to you lord to be used by you as you see fit here we are in jesus name amen amen thank you craig i i want to call those who are listening as well to pray for you to pray for bridgie to pray for your children your grandchildren to pray for your staff and all the people involved with foundations for farming and for the poor of africa who are so vulnerable right now to this virus to these uh, lock-in measures they're vulnerable to more suffering and pain. And so we're going to be praying for you. Thank you so much for the encouragement today. And that's the impartation of courage in each one of us. Thank you so much, Craig. It's been a blessing. Thank you, Chuck. And also just feel free to distribute my contact details to anybody who might need to just get hold of me to be prayed for, to get encouragement. I, 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 feel, I feel honored if the Lord would use me in that way. My email is Craig, C-R-A-I-G, at foundationsforfarming, all lowercase one word, dot org. I do have a WhatsApp address. Uh, I'd love to hear from anybody in WhatsApp, and it's plus 263-772-313-584. Thank you, Craig. God bless you, friend. Thank you, Chuck. Well, thank you for joining us for The Crown Podcast. You can learn more about us at crown.org. You can also get resources and tools and keep up to date on the coronavirus pandemic at crown.org slash coronavirus. Thanks for joining us.